Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time this morning. As always, when we come on this Sunday, as we come to fellowship and worship and connect with you, Lord, we pray that we would indeed connect our spirit to your spirit, our mind to your truth, that you would bless us and speak to us and and watch over us, Lord, as you care for us with the giving of your word, the receiving of your word, and the living of your word. And so bless us now, we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the beginning was the word. This is how the story, chapter 22, begins. In the beginning was the word. These are also the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. And it continues. It says, and the word was with God. These are profound words because they they remind us that before God the Son came to this earth, he resided with God the Father and God the Spirit in heaven. They tell us that he is eternal. And the word was God. The word was God. And what did he do? Well, we know that God created all things, right? We read in John 1, 3, and read that underlying part with me. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. It was God, the creator of the world. He made all things, and we know that God alone is the maker of all things. The word was part of this creation with the Father and the Spirit. Now, does this seem like a a strange way to begin a chapter called the birth of a king? How does John 1, 1 through 3, fit into this title, the birth of a king? Why do they start it this way? Because we need to understand that the birth of Jesus was not the beginning of his existence. He always existed. He has always existed been God. And then it continues, and read that underlined part with me, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here we have his being born. The word became flesh. The, the word dwelt among us. This is the reason why we celebrate Christmas, because The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. On this fourth Sunday, the Sunday of the Advent of Love, we think about how this giving of God the Son to us is God showing His love to us. And how we then are called to take this love which has been given to us and share that with others. Well, this first part of John, chapter 1, 1 through 14, kind of gives us the, the overview of Christ coming into the world, right? doesn't give us the specifics. You have to go to the other Gospels to get the specifics. So let's, let's take a moment and look at the, the birth of Jesus. We need to understand why Jesus, the Word, became flesh, why he left heaven to come to earth. 
even before we talk about the birth narrative, it's important to understand who Jesus is and why he came to this earth. So, so imagine here that God the Son is in heaven with God the Father, God the Spirit. They're in heaven, and they're looking over their creation. And they're residing in heaven, this place of, of peace and love and no sickness and no sadness and no sin. A place where God resides and where everything is perfect. And yet God the Son and God the Father and God the Spirit, God is looking over his creation and he starts to grieve. Because he looks at the sin that has come into the world, the sin that is, has marred his creation, his people that he's created. And they're seeing the problems in the world and they're seeing that the world is going nowhere fast. But how would he make changes? I mean, this God has been very personal in the world, right? The God has walked with his people. He has saved his people time and time again. He's even allowed his people to go into slavery, hoping that they would maybe wake up to their wrongs and, and see what they're doing wrong and, and come back to him. And, and so time and time again, he's given himself over to his people. What more could he do than what he's already done? God was there for his people and has always been for their people and always will be there for his people. But we read, there's heaven. I forgot to show you heaven. John 1.10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, but what? Yet the world did not know him. How this must have grieved God all the more. I mean, it's one thing to see the sin marring his creation, but it's another thing to see his creation the, the people he created to be in relationship with him, not even know him, not acknowledge him, not walk with him, not follow him. And how do they show this? Well, they say, the scripture tells us that God is light and, and life and love. God is the power of over all and, and exists over all and is all-knowing and all-present. And yet human beings chose time and time again to ignore the God of creation, especially in their sinful behavior, especially in their worshiping of other idols, especially of them caring more about themselves than about God. And we need to reflect on our own heart a little bit, caring about ourselves more than we care about God. We turn away from him. So God decided to become even more personal. God decided to give up the comforts of heaven, to give up the, the vastness of his being and seek to be even more present with his creation. God was going to move to a more revealed nature. That's where we read in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's just stop there for a moment. Take in those words. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The very glory of God dwelt among us. Love himself dwelt among us. A theologian, William Barclay, says this about this verse. 
He says it is a key verse because this word which created the world, this reason which controls the order of the world, has become a person, and with our own eyes we saw him. If you want to see what this creating word, this controlling reason is like, look at Jesus of Nazareth. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. And fortunately, we have the scriptures to help us see who Jesus really is. Because God took on flesh, we don't have to imagine anymore what God is like. We don't have to try to, to put a picture to what we, we think about, what we believe in, what we worship. We can see with our eyes who Jesus is. We can see with our eyes who God himself is. God in the flesh dwelt among us. We have the reality of God in the flesh. We have the fullness of God's love given to us in Jesus Christ. Come to earth to be with us. Well, let's go a little deeper for a moment. Let's look at the scriptures and, and see what this looked like. We have in the story that uh, an angel came to Mary, right? We know that story. An angel came to Mary, which I'm sure surprised us. You know, I mean, if you had an angel visit you, I'm sure that would be quite surprising. And this angel comes to Mary, and he speaks to Mary. And read the underlined parts with me. Luke 1. The angel says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the angel says something very wonderful twice to Mary. He tells her that she is favored of God. Could you imagine if an angel came to you and said, You are favored with God? I mean, that would be some great news, right? Wow. What did I do to be favored with God? You might wonder, right? It started going through your head. Hmm, what did I do this week? Oh, okay, I did open that door for that person. Okay, what, what else? You know, and you're trying to figure out, how am I favored with God? And that's probably going on in her head. Now, the Greek word for favor is the word charis. C-H-A-R-I-S, charis. It's also the word for grace. And you might remember that grace is a gift given to us that we do not earn or do not deserve. So Mary has been given this grace from God, this gift that she has not earned or deserved. It has just been given to her. So we don't have, when we go through our things like, what do I do that I got favored by God? No, we, we haven't done anything. God, out of his love for us, shows us his grace time and time and time again. And in this particular time, although Mary didn't see it at this first moment, this was a gift of grace to Mary. This news that was being laid upon her that she has been found favor with God. And he goes on and he tells her that this gift, that she has been chosen to give birth to the Savior of the world. No small task, right? You have been chosen to give birth to the Savior of the world. Grand prize winner, right? And she's trying to figure this out. I don't know, is this a gift? Is this something good? Is, is this something I want? I, I, you know, have you ever opened a gift, right, at Christmas? You're like, hmm, is this something I really like or want? You know, I don't know. And she's probably trying to figure that out. Okay, I'm the mother of the Savior of the world. 
And so he's trying to explain to Mary, and she's trying to take it in. She's going to bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called the Son of Most High. He'll be given the throne of David. He'll reign over all things. There'll be no end to his kingdom. And, and she's trying to take this all in, and the angel's telling all this, and she's probably saying, whoa, stop, slow down. This is so much for me to take in. Well, she doesn't actually say those words. What she says in verse 34 is, how can this be since I'm a virgin? But you can hear a lot behind that, right? Like, you know, this doesn't make sense. How is this going to happen, right? This is too much for me to take in. How can this be since I am a virgin? Which takes us and Mary back to the very introduction of the angel when he tells her that she has found favor with God. And God is giving her this special gift. God is giving her this special opportunity. You know, time and time again, God gives us his grace. He gives us these gifts. He gives us these opportunities to live for him, to serve for him. And he lays in our lap, and we might be like Mary, like, whoa, I'm not able to do this. I'm not capable. This is too much for me to take in. This is too much for me to handle. And God says, no, trust me. I'm giving this to you. It's a gift. It's a wonderful thing. Receive it and walk into it and live into it, and you will be blessed, and others will be blessed through you. So we have Mary in this dilemma. What could God do? What could, God, what could the angel say that would help Mary to be comfortable with what she's being asked to do? And we see in verse 35, And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and read with me, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Like for Mary, it's true for you and me. Whenever God asks us to do anything, God will fill us with His Spirit. He will enable us to do it through the power of His Spirit to do what he calls us to do. So we see that the angel lets Mary know that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, will come upon her, meaning that Mary is not going to do this alone. She is going to have the presence of God in her life. The Holy Spirit will overshadow her, letting her know that the baby she will be given will be given to her by God. It will be the work of God. And that's why this baby will be holy. And God will be with her in all of this. Seems like an impossible task for Mary to do. There's a story of two rabbits who are being chased by two foxes. And they're scurrying away and they're running as fast as they can and they were barely keeping in front of the foxes and, and the foxes were gaining on them and gaining on them and, and they finally found their way into this little drain pipe and, and the opening was so small that only the rabbits could fit into the drain pipe and, and the foxes couldn't. So the foxes got on, on each side of the drain pipe and waited for the rabbits. And the first rabbit looks at the second rabbit and says, well, now you've really gotten us in trouble. What are we going to do now? Without missing a beat, the second rabbit says, wait till we outnumber them. An impossible task has been given to Mary. How are we going to overcome this impossible task? See, that, the, the, the rabbits had some, some positive thinking, didn't they? <laughs> some impossible positive thinking. And that's what Mary really needed, right? Some, some possible thinking, some impossible possible thinking. The Holy Spirit is leading Mary to have this. This is why the angel reminds her when he says to her, nothing 
will be impossible with God. See, those are key words. Nothing will be possible, impossible with God. You cannot do this alone. Don't try to take it in as, well, Lord, how am, I, how am I going to do this? How, how often do we ask that question, right? How am I going to do this, Lord? And that's the wrong question. The question is, how are we, Lord, going to do this? And the Lord says, I will overshadow you with my spirit. I will fill you with my spirit. I will enable you with my spirit. I will empower you. I will gift you with my spirit. And we will be able to do this because nothing is impossible with God. Amen. And so we have to think, what are those things that we think that are impossible with God? Growing our church, we're always like, wow, that's, that's so hard, Lord. Nothing is impossible with God. Lord, how am I going to be deacon? How am I going to be an, an elder? How am I going to serve in the Lord? How am I going to teach a class? How am I going to do any of this? How am I going to spread the gospel? How am I going to share my faith with my coworkers, with my friends, my neighbors? How am I, nothing is impossible with God. The angel's given this to her, and then she starts to realize that what God is doing for her is to show Mary the love of God by reaching out to her, the joy of God by blessing her, the hope of God by showing her the future that God has for the world, and the grace of God by giving this gift and this ultimate opportunity to her and ultimately to the world. A Savior will come into the world. And Mary begins to grasp this realization that nothing is impossible with God and she understands the importance of submitting to God. See, that's the key, submitting to God, and then nothing is impossible for God. She obediently accepts God's call and God's gracious gift, and she says, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. You see how she comes full circle, and now she's like, Okay, Lord, I accept this. I accept this call. I know you'll be with me in it. I know you will make this happen. I know this will be a blessing for me and for the world because I have accepted this call. This impossible task that will not be impossible because you, Lord, are with me. The true story of a missionary in India, and he would regularly talk to Jesus Christ to his friends who were Buddhist and Hindu and, and Muslim, and, and they would, he would talk about Christ, and then he would listen to them about their religions, and they would go back and forth. And inevitably, when he would talk, he, he'd ultimately get to the incarnation, God in the flesh. And then he, he realized how great God is in these discussions, how wonderful it was for him to have Jesus Christ as his Savior, how wonderful it was that God would, would send his son into the world to dwell among the world and die for the world so that we could have salvation. And he was amazed at how wonderful that was, more and more as he talked with his friends. And they would regularly have these round table discussions, and they would each have uh, opportunities to share what was unique about their faith. And again, it would always come back for him what was unique. The most unique was the incarnation. And then he said this. He says, whenever we would talk about the truth of the incarnation, the meeting would lapse into silence. Sometimes the silence would last for many minutes 
only to be broken with the remark from the others, we have nothing in our faith that compares to this. Nothing. There's nothing that compares to the word becoming flesh. There's nothing that compares to Mary giving birth to the Savior of the world. There's nothing that compares to God taking on flesh and dwelling among his people. There's nothing that compares to the glory of God being revealed to the world and taking on human form. There is nothing that compares to this. This wonderful truth. And so Mary gives birth to Jesus. And shortly after, King Herod hears about Jesus' birth. And Herod thinks, I don't want there to be any other kings, right? He hears that, that this king has been born. And so he says to the wise men, when you go visit him, Come back and let me know where he is so I too can go and worship him. But an angel of the Lord tells them that that is not the true statement from King Herod. And so they are told not to go back to King Herod. They go off another way so that King Herod can't find Jesus. And we see time and time again that Jesus is protected, right? He's protected. But even more, we see that person after person that encounters Jesus, even from when he was a baby, goes away glorifying and worshiping God because of this baby being born. This king, the birth of this king has come into the world that touches people's lives in a very unique way. As we think about Christmas, we oftentimes think about gifts, right? And I want to just remind us some things of the ways God gives us gifts, maybe are not always evident. And so I'm going to show you some pictures, and I want you to help me. This is the participatory part of the sermon, okay? And you're going to help me by brainstorming to me, how do you think this is a gift of God to us, okay? So here's the first picture, a sunrise. What do you think? What, what does that say? What gift? A new day. Yes. God gives us a new day. Psalm 118.24, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Every day, God gives us the gift of a new day to make a difference with our lives, regardless what has happened in the past. Picture two, a clock. God's time. Yes, God's time. Time, right? Gift of a better time, maybe, right? Maybe you're not going through such a good time, and there's always that hope of there is a better time out there, right? Second Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. God will do his work. Always God will do his work, but in his time, not in ours. How often do we get frustrated because God's timing is not our timing, right? We want to see things happen in that way. Next picture, maybe a little bit more challenging picture to think about God's gift to us. What do you think? Any thoughts? Trials, storms, okay, kind of a rough water. Maybe think of like the expanse of the earth, right? The power of, of nature, right? Kind of reminds us maybe of God's power, that God is powerful, that God's power is available us. What a gift. God's power is available to us. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. 
God blesses us. He gives us his gift by strengthening us when we seek out the Lord. Lord, I need your strength. I need more strength. And God fills us with his strength to do all that we are called to do. God's strength is available to us. Okay, here we have a mountain. Again, they're getting a little more difficult. Reach out, reach up. Tall and strong mountains you think of are secure, right? Tall and strong. We have the gift of a Savior who is tall and strong, who makes us tall and strong. God called the dry ground land, it says in Genesis 1.10, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. God is above all and beyond all and over all more powerful, more stronger, more high, uh, higher than any mountain, right? God is there for us. He's the rock, our foundation, that we can re rely on. God lifts us up in the good in our times in our life, and even in the bad times of our life. We can rely on that solid rock of God, our foundation. And the last picture, baby Jesus. Tenderness. How else is this God's gift? Jesus, our Savior, salvation, right? I mean, this is the crux of Christmas, right? I hope that we don't go to Christmas Day without forgetting this one key moment, the birth of a king, the birth of a Savior. Jeremiah 33, 16, In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. In Christ, we have the one who makes all things possible. In Christ, we have the one who becomes our Savior and enables us to be in that loving relationship with God, to experience the fullness of God's love because of the salvation he gives to us. Well, as the story, uh, chapter 22 goes on, it shows that in the Bible, there's kind of this big gap between when Jesus is born and when he's 12 years old. And if you read the story, then you know kind of this story about how uh, his family went to the synagogue, right? And they were there for a few days, and then they left, and they're in this big group, and they're traveling together, you know, aunts and uncles, grandparents, family, you know, all together they're traveling. And three days goes by, and his parents finally realize that Jesus isn't with them. Now, think about that. If you're a parent, and you're in a group, and all of a sudden you're looking around for your child, and your child's not there, what do you do? You panic, right? I mean, there's probably... I remember when uh, Tyler thought he was funny one time, and we were at uh, the store, Macy's or something like that, and he decided to hide in one of the clothing racks. And we turned around, and we're like, oh my gosh, where's Tyler? You know, it had only been seconds, right? And as parents, you, you freak out. You just are like, you just start going crazy, looking everywhere, right? And just start, just, you can imagine his parents. He is not there. And so they make their way back to where they had last seen him. And sure enough, there's Jesus, and he's with the, um, the priest. And he's having this big theological discussion with them. And uh, we read in Luke 2.48, And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, read with me, Son, why have you treated us so? Of course we'd say that, right? We'd be so upset as parents. Why did you do this? Why did you not tell us? Why did you, uh, you know, they're just so upset, right? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Understatement. 
great distress, right? And then Jesus, he responds in verse 49. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? See, even at the age of 12, Jesus had this pro pro um, profound understanding that his, his work in the world was to do the Father's will. He knew that he needed to, that was the most important thing for him to do, to walk in the Father's will. And when he was having this theological discussion with the priests, that was part of his work, his call, as he was um, preaching the gospel, even at that early age of 12. And then Luke 2.52, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. It's a true story of these businessmen who went to Chicago to this convention. It was an all-week convention, Monday to Friday. They had promised their wives that they would be back on Friday night for dinner. And the convention had run a little bit late. And so there they found themselves running through the airport, trying to make it to their terminal so that they could make their plane and be on time and, you know, fulfill the promise that they had made to the wife. And in the process of running along, one of the businessmen ran into a table, an apple table, and the apples went flying everywhere. And the other salesman kept running, but um, the one salesman knew what he needed to do. He needed to take care of this mess. And so he calls out to his friends, tell my wife why I'm going to be late. Right? I missed my plane because they were almost late anyway. And so there he was, he starts to, to gather up these apples, and as he does, he, he sees this young teenage girl, tears coming down her cheeks, and then he notices that she's blind, and she's having trouble gathering up the apples. And so he, even more fervently, he begins to gather up the apples, and he gets them all up, and he puts them on the table, and he realizes that some of them are bruised. Some of them are ruined. They can't be sold. They can't, can't be given away. And so he takes out $40, and he says to the girl, here's $40 to cover the cost. I'm so sorry that I knocked over your apples. I'm so sorry that some of them are damaged. This should take care of that and more. And once he got the table set up, he began to walk away. And as she heard him walking away, she said, Mister? And he turns around and says, Yes. Mister, are you Jesus? You know, an interesting story. That sometimes just the smallest of acts of love, right? Smallest acts of kindness, the smallest things we do for others in the name of Jesus will show Jesus to others. Wouldn't it be wonderful if someone actually said, "Some are you Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? That our actions are so different, so profound, so out of the ordinary that people would look at us and say, Jesus must be in you. You must be a follower of Jesus. The scriptures tell us that God is love and that God pours out his love into our lives and that we are called to take that love. It should just be overflowing from us and that love should just pour out to others so much so that people look at us and say, you must be a follower of Jesus because of the way you love, because of the kindness that you show, because of the little things you do, because how you take notice or you care for me or you are concerned about my life. Are you Jesus? That should be something we should strive for each and every day 
to be more and more like Jesus so that people see Jesus in us. As we look to Christmas, I pray that maybe before you open gifts, maybe before you have your meal, you say a prayer, maybe you read the Christmas story, maybe you talk a little bit about what is the real meaning of Christmas? Why are we doing what we're doing? We're sharing love with one another. Why are we doing this? We have so much here. How can we help maybe someone else this week that doesn't maybe have so much? We ask ourselves those important questions and we say, maybe we can make Christmas about Jesus. The birth of a king. King of our heart. King of our world. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I pray that we would seek to make that happen. Let us pray.